So are you separated or divorced? And is it feeling like pretty much the hardest thing in the world? Yeah, I know, honey. When I was going through mine, I wished there had been a guide to walk me through the grieving and assessing and praying and healing. So I created one. Heartbreak to Hope is my three-month companion that covers things like your childhood, defining and accepting your current reality, talking about rejection and loneliness, forgiveness, and taking care of yourself and your children through this transition. Heartbreak to Hope is now pay what you can afford, and you can now receive it either through weekly email content or as a one-time PDF. So there's never been a better time to take this step. Let's get your healing journey started today. Check the show notes for how to sign up. Hey, sweet ones. Welcome back to the All That To Say podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Klein. On this podcast, we talk about the hard stuff. A, because I've been through a lot of it. B, because most of you have too. And C, because I believe that God supports us and helps us and heals us through divorce. Today, I'm going to answer a few common questions I've gotten about divorce over the years, and we're going to jump right in. Question. I have so much guilt from people reminding me over and over that God hates divorce. Help. I guess that's not a question, but... Pretty much everyone who has ever been married or found themselves in a hard marriage or on the other side of divorce in the Christian world has heard someone tell them that, quote unquote, God hates divorce. They are pulling from Malachi 2.16 that says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. These words are typically used as a tool to keep someone from divorcing or sadly, to point out why someone's life is so difficult post-divorce, as in, well, what did you expect? God hates divorce. By the way, that's called adding insult to injury. That's called being mean. That's called the opposite of showing grace and empathy. If that's all you have to say to someone in this position, please say nothing. So one of the first rules of scripture interpretation, though, is context. Why did God say those words? Who was he saying them to? What else did he say in that same passage? This passage was written during a time when men, mostly leaders, were divorcing their wives without cause. And if you think women are a bit more vulnerable now and get the shaft post-divorce these days, which we do, women back then were pretty much done for if their husbands divorced them. So these words came at a specific time to address an issue that is actually opposite of what you might think. God wasn't saying, I hate divorce, to address the abused woman in an effort to motivate her to buck up. He was actually addressing the throwaway wife man and telling him what he was doing was wrong and he despised it. And again, context people, because if anyone even looked up this verse, they'd see that the very next words in Malachi 2.16 are, and I hate the man who does wrong to his wife, says the Lord of all. So be careful in your spirit and be one who can be trusted. And in the NIV version, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. 
In other words, God hates the man who hurts his wife, who mistreats her, who covers her with violence, especially so because the husband is supposed to be her protector. God's heart all across scripture is towards the vulnerable. God's heart all across scripture is grace and mercy. God calls himself our strong tower, our refuge, our help in times of trouble. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it lists off seven things that God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. For some women, this is the description of their entire marriage. God's clear intention for marriage is for it to be a representation of how Christ and the church are in relationship together. There is love, mutuality, and care. There is no violence, no unnecessary harshness, no power trips, no lying, no wickedness. I believe that applying God hates divorce to the case of the abused woman looking for biblical counsel on whether or not she can leave her marriage to an unrepentant, abusive man is similar to someone taking Jesus wept and saying that Jesus shows compassion on the teenager who broke curfew and now can't have her phone for a week. Scripture is our guide, yes, but let's be very careful that we don't wield it as a weapon against those who are already in so much pain and are in desperate need of our help and support. Question, why am I still so shocked each time my ex-husband does something mean to me? I feel so naive and foolish. Okay, cut yourself some slack. Of course you're surprised, even shocked. This isn't the man you married. You didn't more than likely willingly choose to marry a person who does intentionally hurtful things to you or even, God forbid, to your children. Even if you sadly have years of different kinds of abuse under your belt, the soft-hearted part of you still can't believe that it's come to this. I mean, really, could you have ever predicted this? Of course not. On the other hand, it's a pretty good sign that you're still surprised. That means that your heart isn't 100% bitter because a bitter person would expect mean things to keep coming. Your shock means you are trying to stay soft, which is something to be lauded. However, Jesus did tell his disciples in Matthew 10, 16 to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So it's important not just to rest on that, your naivete. It's important not to be completely blindsided or thrown at every turn. So a couple thoughts. One, pray for a wise heart. The Holy Spirit can give you inside information. I've had this happen. Beth Moore says we can know more than we know. It's totally true. God is the secret revealer. I don't say this in like a psychic way or anything. I say it in that if we have asked Christ to lead us and we are following him, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Therefore, we have access to some divine knowledge, girls. We can know things we don't know. I prayed for that all the time, especially during my separation. There are some things that I used to need to find out, and I believe that God helped me a time or two. Number two, run it by a trusted friend. I've noticed that uh, on the occasion when I would be dragged back into crazy town against my will, 
I could get a little crazy myself if I weren't careful. So being able to talk to someone and share whatever the thing was that happened was huge. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Once you say the crazy out loud and a sane person hears it, they will be able to look you in the eye and say, yep, crazy. Then you can try to put it in perspective and move on. Three, take action if needed. Don't take action if only in revenge. Sometimes something will need to be done to counter the mean thing done to you. Um, other times, you know that the action you want to take will serve only one purpose, to hurt the other person back. And trust me, the momentary feeling of revenge doesn't hold a candle to knowing you handled a sticky situation with integrity. Take a long view here. Four, hand it over. Pray, pray, pray some more. You may just have to lay that mean thing down at the foot of the cross and ask God to deal with it. Lies and accusations from people are hard to take. Don't get me wrong, they are heavy burdens to carry, but God invites us to give him our heavy things. He wants to carry them with us, for us even. He wants us to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means to me that he fully intends to set every single thing right. So let him. Question. Will everything be awful forever? Oh, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. During my 15-month reconciliation attempt, I was relationally and emotionally sick. The elders were called. I was prayed over. I was anointed with oil. And then I walked out of that church and practically hyperventilated in my car on the way home, having to pull over because I couldn't see the road through my tears. And when I got back on the road, this song played over and over, and I tried to sing it and pray it through sobs and driving and anger and fear. You who sometimes were brought so low, rise up. You who were in silence, now raise your voice, rise up. You that were despised, be lifted up, rise up. For the right hand of the Lord is with you right now, rise up. Does time heal all? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Six months later, after that moment, I was relationally and emotionally weak. The police were called. I was protected. I was covered. And then a few months later, I walked out of my old home and into a new one, not knowing what my future held. And this song played. Yes, I will rise. Out of these ashes rise. From this trouble I have found and this rubble on the ground, I will rise because he who is in me is greater than I will ever be, and I will rise. Does time really heal all? I don't think so. But I do believe in this equation. Time plus God plus a willing heart can equal miracles and joy and healing. I am still living this equation out each day. I'm breathing again. I'm walking. I'm smiling. I'm laughing. I'm creating. I'm writing. I'm teaching. I'm giving away. I'm not obsessive. 
I'm here to say there is joy after suffering. Joy comes after the morning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Joy comes in the morning. Today, looking out my window with the sun streaming through, I am a grateful, blessed, even happy girl. And healing comes and comes and comes, and I believe that it will for you too. Question. I have so much guilt and condemnation for myself, and I have to fight the feeling that God is saying I got what I deserve for getting married when I didn't think it was in God's will for me. In my insecure heart, I feel this way. Is God punishing me? Sweet girl, I just want to put my arms around you. I do believe that God allows hardships to come into our lives to help us grow and change and mature. I believe that we must live with the natural consequences of our sin and of our poor choices. I don't think those of us who follow Christ get a free pass. Two Christians who have sex before they're married are just as likely to get pregnant as two people who aren't believers. Life follows certain patterns of cause and effect. But do I believe that God is punishing you for marrying the quote unquote wrong person? No. My dear mentor has walked me through years and years of heartache and faith stretching relational quandaries. I would go to her with some horrible self-judgment or a comment ringing in my ears that like had pierced my heart. And she would say something like, if the voice that you're hearing is harsh or condemning, that's not the voice of Jesus. And then my shoulders would always unhunch and I would sigh deeply. So dear one, do you know Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you for the wrong things you've done in your marriage, including the possibility that you got married to someone who you didn't think God wanted you to marry? If you've asked for forgiveness, you are free. When God looks at your heart, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your poor choices. He doesn't see the things you choose to do out of stubbornness or selfishness. He sees Christ. This would be a wonderful time to do step four and step five from the 12 steps of recovery. I've talked about the steps on the podcast. You can scroll back and look for step four and five, but step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And step five is admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Here's how I did this. I made four lists. One was a list of all I had done wrong in my life. That took a while. Then a list of all the wrong done to me. Then a list of all the right I had done. And finally, a list of all the right done to me. It took some time. I gave myself a deadline so I wouldn't draw this out and be completely self-absorbed for months on end. I think I gave myself about two weeks. I prayed first, asking the Holy Spirit to help me recall only what he needed me to. Then I took that list and got on my knees next to my favorite chair. And I looked out at my then, um, gorgeous view of a pond and I confessed it all to God. And then I brought it to my mentor and spilled my guts out, humbling beyond any experience I've ever known. I told her everything, everything. She wasn't shocked. And she prayed for me, a beautiful, gentle prayer of cleansing and forgiveness and grace. And these steps helped me walk with my head held high and my burden 
lighter. I heard someone speak of a parable of a man who lived his life carrying a piece of paper in each of his pockets. One said, I am but dust and ashes. The other, the world was created for me. We should strive to find that balance. Have you messed up? Of course you have, because everyone has. Is God punishing you? No. Can you be forgiven and move on? Absolutely, starting right now. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Question. My life is a mess. How can I experience peace in the middle of all this chaos? Living in a difficult marriage, going through a separation or divorce or just being human can lead us to this place of external and internal chaos. At church one morning, I was struck by the thought while singing an old hymn, we can choose for all to be well deep down inside. As I stood in my church sanctuary that morning, my mind had been filled simultaneously with the intended for my harm chaos imposed upon me that week again, along with why I was able to sing and actually believe that it is well with my soul. So if your life is a mess beyond description today, but you have Christ as your savior, I want you to remind yourself of these foundational truths. If you want to close your eyes while I read these over you, go right ahead. From John 3, you are loved. Galatians 3, you are redeemed. Ephesians 2, you are covered over by grace. Genesis 16, you are seen. Jeremiah 30, you are being healed. Isaiah 54, your maker is your husband. Genesis 28, you are protected. Jude 1, you are heard. John 14, you are given peace. 2 Corinthians 3, you are being transformed into something beautiful. 1 John 1, your sins are completely forgiven, your guilt is wiped away, and good will come from your mistakes. And Hebrews 13, you are never alone. Yes, life is hard, especially if your primary relationship is hanging by a fragile thread, is dying, or already dead. Life is difficult. However, Jesus is on your side. Every one of those truths would be a reason enough to celebrate and rest, but all of them combined, along with so many more, can hold you up during even the darkest stretches of your life. So when the chaos rolls in and threatens to take you down, take your worried thoughts captive to Christ, hand each burden over to him, and then rehearse what is good and true about God. Now, if Christ is not the leader of your life, you can begin that relationship at any moment, you can simply pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are God's son and that you chose to die for me to pay for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Please forgive my sin. Please help me start fresh. Please come into my heart 
and life and lead me from this moment on. Help me have faith. Help me trust you. And teach me how to love you and follow you. Amen. If you just prayed this prayer, your life as a new creation has begun. And I would love it if you would let me know. Remember, though life will always be hard, all can always be well with your soul. Julian of Norwich, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Last question. I find myself wishing for something else to take away the pain, even when I know only God can. What can we do to comfort ourselves when the pain of separating and divorcing is just so great? During my divorce, I texted a friend, this is how it's going this week. Let's just say it's a good thing I don't like the taste of alcohol. For a while there, pre-divorce, I was suffering from pretty regular migraines, heart palpitations, sleeplessness, occasional eye twitching, anxiety, and depression. I was lonely and sad and angry and confused and worried. I was a hot mess, minus the hot. The pain I was in for years was emotionally and physically debilitating. I'm convinced my soul was dying a little more every day. But even though I have never used alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or sex to numb my pain over the years, which seriously amazes me sometimes, that doesn't mean I don't have other vices that I turn to in an attempt to self-soothe and assuage the ache. Shopping, naps, TV, food, just to name a few. Those can tend to be my go-tos, even as a follower of Jesus. So what can we do to bring ourselves some comfort in healthy ways? I'm always going to tell you to go to Jesus first. He is our comforter. Spending time in prayer, in his word, in worship, heals us in ways that nothing human or of this world can. But it's a different kind of healing. It might not be the instant relief we're craving, and that's okay. To talk to a friend. Fight the temptation to isolate. Reach out to someone you trust and tell them how you're feeling. Everyone has felt this void, this lack of comfort at some point in their lives. So let yourself be heard. Let yourself be encouraged. Let yourself be taken care of. Three, ask for help. Sometimes we need an extra measure of assistance. Seeing a counselor or talking through your feelings of pain and how they're not abating is always a good idea. You will more than likely regret not talking with a counselor, but odds are you will never regret that you have. Next, take care of yourself. How are you eating? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting any movement in your life? Are you sleeping when you're tired? Are you doing anything that you enjoy doing? We are mind, body, and spirit, so take care of the whole of you. See your doctor. If you're finding yourself having hopeless or suicidal thoughts, or simply you just don't feel like yourself and can't shake the dark cloud hanging over your head, Talking to your doctor about your options for medication is wise. Comfort someone else. In our pain, we can feel as if we're the only ones in the world who are hurting. But odds are there is someone in your life going through something really difficult right alongside you. Reach out. Offer your help to someone, your listening ear, your support, your prayers. 
even in the midst of your pain. And get some perspective. Our pain will not kill us. Sometimes it feels like it might, I know, but it won't. It's not the end of the world to be in emotional pain and not have reprieve from it for a time. It can strengthen us. It can build character and empathy and compassion and perseverance. Now, I'm not talking about a pain that's so deep and so dark and has got a hold on you. That's different, and that's what a counselor or doctor would be for. But suffering, when going through pain, lines us up with Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 2. There's far more to this life than just trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him, and the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Our pain can be a gift. I know, I know, but it can be. I bet that if you look back on your life, if you're honest with yourself, you can see some good that has come from every single difficult thing you have passed through up to this point. Either a lesson has been learned, your character has been built, deeper intimacy with a friend or with God. Life hurts, but God comforts. So I'm going to list off um, six prayers along with six Verses. Ask Jesus to heal the wounds that have been left behind. Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Ask Jesus to speak into your heart how he sees you, who you truly are. Isaiah 43, 4, you are precious and honored in my sight and I love you. Ask Jesus to bring safe men into your life who will treat you kindly. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Ask Jesus to protect you from unsafe men who will treat you poorly. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle response diverts anger, but a harsh statement incites fury. Ask Jesus to give you the discernment you need to decide who to let in and who to walk away from. Proverbs 24, 16, for just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. And ask Jesus to give you hope for his good plan for you, man or no man. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a hope and a future. I will post a link in the show notes to my e-course, Heartbreak to Hope, along with a couple other resources. As always, if this episode or the All That to Say podcast has been meaningful to you, would you consider doing one of the following? Share it, subscribe to it, tell a friend about it, rate it, review it, or financially support it. All of those mean so much to me, and they help me reach more and more women with the help and hope and love of God. So sweet ones, all that to say. You are the unconditionally beloved daughter of God, and he is so delighted with you. You came into this world and you start each day already completely loved with no other loves to beg for and nothing to prove to anyone. Till next time, so, so much love.
Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the All That To Say podcast. Around here, we talk about the hard stuff because I've been through a lot of it and so have you. And therapy has been a monumental part of my coping and my healing since I was in my early 20s. Well, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time, schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. And if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash all that to say. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all that to say.